0: Driven Minds podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Season four. We have another dope, interesting guest in the building. Be sure do. Uh, the founder and CCO at Pico and Partners, um, architect uh, Patricia Correo Velasquez.
1: <laughs> Hi.
2: Nice. You really nailed that that? That,
1: that? that was a good pronunciation, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, you know,
2: got to roll the R's, baby. You got to roll did, the R's. You did really good.
0: But thank you for uh, coming this evening.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me.
2: Yeah, I think this is like the first time we've had an architect oh, on the podcast. So this is like <laughs> super dope because architecture is so dynamic and so complex. It really comes from a really strong creative mind. And we always like highlighting really dope influential, influential creators and creatives on the platform. So thanks again for coming on board. First, just through all like you know the many conversations we had, you already seem like super interesting. So, um, let's just take it back to you know where you're from. Okay. Um, you know, and what you do.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, it's so funny that when you, when you say architect, I didn't actually consider myself an architect. Oh, I, okay. I am professionally trained as an architect, right, and I have okay. worked with architecture firms. But I think that um I would label it as something more open as an artist Mm because i think when you talk about architecture you might consider it only buildings and and i think my work goes like i wouldn't beyond sounds like a like a strange word to say but i think my work
2: wants to go
1: further than just buildings so um i have like i would say i have like three main passions that have ended up like colliding into what eventually turned out to be my architecture or my work but um I was professionally trained as a ballet dancer, so I've been dancing for almost 15 years. Wow, um, tremendous! Classical, um, contemporary, um, aerial acrobatics. I'm not doing kung fu because I'm doing a project for Bruce Lee and to the Dragon. I'm gonna be, um, I, I'm gonna be the director for the stage show in Las Vegas, and wow. but I'll wow. tell you guys about that project later because I'm. Gonna reinvent where I'm going to, or I'm in the process of reinventing the theater. Pop
0: quiz, first position,
1: <laughs> first position is like this, but you can't see us.
0: <laughs> nice,
1: but but yeah. So so ballet and and. Dance, I guess it's more about movement, right? And that Mm -hmm. movement, that connection of how you place yourself in the space and time. Um, Buildings are static, right? So the way that you experience them is mostly through shape and maybe how the dynamics of it come more from how the lighting or the acoustics are influenced by that shape. Um, Dance, instead, it's something that you are like in the moment of that time, you get to see like that location and that speed and that correlation between something being very slow to then moving rapidly Mm -hmm. or being very strong to to being something that's a movement that's very soft and i think you can relate dance more to music than you do to architecture Mm. um but so yeah so super passionate about um about dance and then like um like sideways, but not that sideways, you, then I'll explain like how I find them to be extremely different. Um, I also like obsessed with mathematics and I was, um, wow. a, a finalist at the mathematics Colombian Olympics in high school. And wow. like, this was like my, like a, a passion as well for a long time. It's and okay, I math. started undergrad uh, math that I didn't finish because I ended up after doing, um, just architecture with a little bit of background in math. I found <clears throat> a program at Harvard called computational design. And that ended up like merging those two worlds. And eventually I just dropped math for that. Also compared to the true pure mathematicians, like I'm obviously not at that level. Hmm. And I think that's why I felt that maybe pure, pure, pure math wasn't my thing. But I'm very obsessed with geometry and with topology. And that's influenced my work as an architect a lot. Mm. Um, And and I guess art, art in general, from sculpting, from drawing, um, architecture, I consider it like a combination of maybe... Everything or nothing. <laughs> um, but but yeah, those are the three things that started like combining in my world of what um, eventually just like turned me into what I am as an artist or as an architect.
2: Um, is, was there somebody in your life that like, you know, saw the creative spark in you or saw something special in you that kind of like nurtured that part of your creativity for you to blossom into, you know, being so creative?
1: Oh, that's so interesting to think if it was someone that actually sparked it. Um, I think, um, I think everything in life works has feedback loops where you, you put in some effort, someone acknowledges that effort and Mm. encourages you to do more. And because you're being watched or being encouraged, you do more and it becomes this continuous looping, right? Mm. If you work on your own and are never watched, I mean, some people obviously like pursue that route and will thrive intensely, but, but other people need like the, the correction or, or the enthusiasm that comes from someone like saying like, good job, you know, like pat on the back, you've done well. Um, So I was really bad at school. So that, that was really hard for me. And I think as an escape from like the academic world, funny enough, I got into Harvard, but that's completely different. (laughs) But like in, but in high school, um, I'm, I'm really bad at like the discipline that comes from, from trying to understand each subject independently through the rigid structure that comes from the academic world. Mm. And as an escape from that, I found ballet to be a lot more nurturing and I found my discipline through ballet because it's also a very disciplined field, right? Mm. Um, And in there, like I started off really bad. I couldn't even touch my toes at that point. I was like pretty old to start off like 10-ish. Girls usually start when they're four or five. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was because I was standing right behind one of the best girls in the class that I ended up being watched and the fact mm-hmm. that the teacher was constantly like giving me feedback and um even if it was like the side of her eye that she's like oh my god this girl is so bad but she might want to just like fix my toe or something right. that eventually turned into me wanting to constantly update and update and, like uh, be better at every movement that I was doing and and eventually I became a principal dancer um in in that company I mean it's a small company in Colombia um but it's like very wonderful like all the all the dancers there are very talented um so was, that was like a super great opportunity and and then I translated that to, to something else like once I got rid of school which was like the worst nightmare that had ever. <laughs> I barely graduated I even uh, flunked uh we, 11th grade is uh, you guys have 12th grade yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our 11th is the last grade I flunked 11th grade it was that bad wow, like yeah, it's like <laughs> I have the good thing is that I had um two of the um, um how, how do you call the like, the last year field trip that people do like them
2: Um summer school?
1: No, no, it's a, it's, a, it's like the last year like on 12th grade maybe you have like a field trip oh, like that a Oh the senior trip. Yeah, oh, yeah the senior trip. Yes. Chair. Okay, we call it yeah.
0: graduation. Okay, right.
1: yeah. So, so at least I had two of those. you but... know the
0: <laughs> the the wannabe parent in me is so upset right now. Like how do you get it to the your senior what? trip <laughs> <laughs> and you failed eleventh grade. Like, I don't, I don't even
2: understand. It.
0: So how how did you how did you make it to Harvard after? I mean, um, you know that difficult.
1: Yeah. So that was that was high school, and then when I started undergraduate, um, our undergraduate system in Colombia doesn't look through your grades. They only look through one test that is called the ICFES, and oh, wow. it's like an SAT. It's like the only thing that matters is the ACT, and I did well in my in my Colombian SAT, so I got into. Architecture school. I, I started with civil engineering. Then I realized that that wasn't my thing. It was definitely too organized mm-hmm. um, But I loved the like the the math part of it. So um, The it was like statics and dynamic systems like that I love so that's why I branched it into seeing classes from pure mathematics and then seeing architecture mm-hmm. and And in those classes this like I guess like a little bit less um, Extreme, but I would also have Things that I'm either really good at or really bad at. Mm. So, but but eventually that leveled out, and I graduated first in my class, and like cum laude and all that. And with that, like you can just go to Harvard and say like, oh, Colombia, like right? I'm a minority. I'm basically all the minorities. I'm a woman. I'm a, I'm Latin right. American. Um, right. Yeah, so I put all that together in a package and they're like, <laughs> interesting, you sound unique enough to be part of this program. <laughs> nice. What,
0: what, what programs did you, um, like learn, um, architecture, like to, to develop like AutoCAD or. <laughs>
1: um, in architecture school, or you mean in computational design? I think there's, um, mm, th- this like branches out into, into a lot of fields. Cause like one thing is to think of the CAD modeling. So it's mm-hmm. like when you do, um, the, I guess like the structure of the model. And that's like all the, all the CADs. Yeah. So AutoCAD, Revit, Rhino, like those fall into that package. Um, then there's the visualizing one. So it's like um, 3D Max or Maya that you use for rendering or you use a Vray plugin, what you have. But then there's the after edit ones, mm-hmm. which are, if you're doing something that's more dynamic than you use like After Effects or Premiere, or if it's something static, then you use Photoshop or Illustrator. So there's like a lot of, a, a lot of stages for that. and. There's also like even deeper stages to the modeling CAD ones, which is the software to analyze um, your model. So you, you can use like um, Ecotech to analyze your um, daylighting and energy consumption and your radiation and your acoustics. And yeah, uh, energy builder like the. Um
0: oh, so the program could tell you exactly like. What, what kind of like stress the building would be under during a certain weather? Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 no, no, this, the, no, that's super interesting how you can, you can model absolutely everything. And the program that I did at Harvard was about, it's called computational design, Mm -hmm. but it's branched inside like architectural technology, design technology, and it has certain components that go from, um, data-driven designs to robotics to um energy and sustainability like those analysis of like computational fluid dynamics and daylighting and radiation inside of a building mm-hmm. um to um playing with arduino boards and seeing how different sensors can be connected to be actuating motors or or installations like what you would call responsive environments or interactive installations so so yeah like it's it's a plethora of options um and i ended up um guess like specializing in a couple of things which were um the a little bit of the sustainability side and then i worked for um the harvard center for green buildings and cities mm-hmm. um in which we um designed different models of like topological models of of, of buildings and in, in my case i was doing a research about skyscrapers um in china because of the company that funded the harvard energy center was called um, is evergrand is one of the biggest um developers in china so we were doing like different um topological studies to see what would be more useful in terms of the shapes for daylighting for um natural ventilation for um radiation energy consumption and all of that um but then you realize that everything's very profit driven mm. so they don't want cool shapes, it doesn't really matter what the energy analysis says, it's like whatever's cheaper to build and easier uh, to sell. That's
2: terrible. Yeah,
1: um, so that was super um, depressing. So, right. um, I mean, but but I still learned a lot. I think oh, all those studies are still necessary and there's different places to apply, but I guess it just depends on the type of project. Some projects are all about making a unique icon and then the budget doesn't matter, right? You see things like in the World Trade Center, like these big opera houses. Um, on the buildings by Gary obviously go through that process where it's more about creating a piece of art rather than um, doing like a, like a profitable model. Right. Um, But then you see uh, most buildings that are, which are the opposite. Right. Mm.
2: Um,
1: So, so I think there, I realized that even if I was really passionate about um, understanding like the specific points and data of like, for all these analysis of understanding why things work in a certain way, um, I was more interested in, think like the beauty of these spaces. Mm. And I was more interested in how we could play with these shapes and how we could play with the acoustics because of those mm-hmm. shapes or how we could play. Yeah. How, how you could just distort the traditional building into making people experience it differently. Mm. And in, in that, in that journey of like wanting to understand where I wanted to go, um, I started thinking of a couple of people that I would like to work with. So I, I reached out to Anish Kapoor and uh, the artist and, and, mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no, we're like, we're not hiring. We don't hire architects, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, fine. Um, I reached out to Cirque du Soleil, and they're like, we don't hire architects either. Wow. I'm like, oh. And and then I reached out really? to, uh, yeah. Because
0: they have a crazy stage. In Vegas, I know, like...
1: but but they what they do is that they don't need architects full time. It's only when they have a project that they mm. build the whole thing and oh, they continue. Okay.
2: Like a one-off.
1: Yeah. And then for Eliasson, which is a beautiful artist. And then I went to Berlin to meet with... With this company and that was amazing but then visa or whatever happened that took very long time and then on my way back um i had dinner with um uh, the architect that i ended up working with which is someone that i really really admire his name is bjarke Engels. and i mean he's designing everything that is like breaking the boundaries of architecture today from the google headquarters which is the one that i that i ended up working on the new world trade center projects with nasa hyperloop one just like completely like crazy crazy perception of understanding the world as it is and and I was telling him my kind of like my frustration of like wanting to leave that world of computation and going to something more artistic and when he asked me what I could potentially be interested in I said well like really my passion Cirque to life." and I was like well um when I was 15 for the first time like I went to Vegas with my parents and mm-hmm. I saw oh and oh was one of those shows that I cried of how beautiful it was. Also we were like in the third row, so it was like super intense. Um, <laughs> we were like inside the show. Mm. Um but it's it's such a beautiful show because it's not it's not just about being cool, it's not just about being um it's not about the acrobatics, right? And I think that's that's where the the component of like do other circuses copy or do other shows look similar and and, and like yeah, they could try to, but the thing is that the essence comes in like that, like like the delicadeza like in that subtleness mm-hmm. of of how you put the music together how you put the colors together how you put all the yeah, emotions that make it super it's, strong and everything's very perfectly calculated and very harmonious in all in how all those parts come together so so when I told VRK my, my my obsession with this he's like well it turns out that two weeks ago I met the founder Cirque du Soleil we're going to start a project next month you want to oh, come to Burning wow. Man with us Burning <laughs> and I'm like Man, wow. <laughs> and I'm like what <laughs> so like a month later I'm in Burning Man with the founder Cirque du Soleil talking about how wow. we're going to design his new company and this was like boom like my brain was going to explode. That's a really interesting yeah.
0: <laughs> place to like discuss design and stuff too, because people go there and they're just like kind of free. and yeah, mind expression, free yeah. thoughts, free
1: people yeah. to build. Yeah, I know this project was super interesting because of course I thought it was going to be about the circus, mm-hmm. but Geese sold so Circus du LA belongs to a Chinese company that wants to like blow it up into like the biggest entertainment company ever. Mm-hmm. And... Well, he wanted to do something new, something that was like going to be like his new inspiration, and, um, well, this project being super interesting, I think, like, opened my mind into all the options of how, um, of how you can question what normal architecture is about and how you can create new new spaces around that. But yeah, and then I ended up working on on the Google um headquarters project um for for BRK, and I was leading the geometry of of the canopy. Um, which consisted of also like, again, those analysis, but now in a real project that was going to get built and that is actually under construction right now. So analyzing those surfaces, which are doubly curved surfaces for drainage, energy consumption, um, structure, et cetera. So uh, that was uh, super cool.
2: Awesome. Actually, I have a question. Yes. Um, but... yeah. yeah, so I have a question because um, just hearing <laughs> you talked made me just have a little deeper understanding of you. and just um the relationship you have with um the art of design and because i'm trying to get my words together i see how design and innovation is allowing humans to have a more natural um, um engagement with um with buildings, houses, technology, just different things or whatnot. And I, I, it seems like that's how you envision things. Like you look for ways where, where, um, if when designing a building or when you're designing architecture, that makes it feel just a more natural space for human beings, where it's almost like, a, you know, can even contribute to like, um, you know, the mental. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, that's so interesting that you say that because I think— more than what feels natural, because um, we sometimes forget that that state of natural is evolving through time. And mm. sometimes spaces and architecture or anything, I mean, except technology is, like, is constantly advancing, but you don't see architecture saying, oh, this is how houses are now, right? Or this is how a library is going to be now. Like These are typologies that haven't changed formally for hundreds of years, Absolutely. Some six thousands. Right. And for example, the theater, which is something that I'm ob- obviously obsessed with because mm-hmm. of my background, right. um, is a space that hasn't evolved since like that's, the designs of Sam's. And, and we have a very, um, very traditional way of seeing the stage, almost like a box, right? It could basically be two-dimensional from when you're standing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the seating, the audience is also like, just static. And wherever you sit, like, you choose a spot, and you only have, like, that one directional approach to that scene. And that scene is just passing in front of you, right? The same way as we see cinema, right? And I think, like, we got so used to that's the way that we work that it's very difficult for people to think, like, how do we tell stories that is not, um, like, with that same... Uh, linearity and mm. with that two dimensionality, right? Mm. And I think when something like VR comes along mm-hmm. and you are no longer having to stare at something that is happening just in front of you, or like it's not character-driven, um, people don't know what to do, right? Mm. And now that like there's a lot of questions like how are stories going to be told in a space that is 360? Are you supposed to be chasing the story? Are you supposed mm. to be chasing characters? Or is it something that you're just like immersed in and then it's not really about a story, it's more about like a sensation or an environment and an experience. Mm -hmm. And I think like all of these things, like what happens is that, if you try to think of any field as a as, as a, like a field that is independent from each other, um, it's very difficult for it to advance. And it's only when you start seeing like these interconnections or how things start influencing others. And like at the beginning that we were talking about Picasso, right? right. Um, like right even before this podcast started, right. um, it's super interesting that cubism was mostly influenced by Einstein's theories of relativity, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we're no longer wanting to see um, something like that is only from one perspective. But when you're changing perspectives, you're almost trying to put in the notion of time inside of a drawing or inside of space. And the same happened in photography with stroboscopic, which is like when when you would take multiple images and overlap them, right. and you would see the movements like Gijon Milley or, yeah, or Moonbridge, right? That would have like that sensation of how time passes in space. Mm-hmm. And And I think that when we have a space that hasn't evolved in such a long time, but we still want to put new things inside of it. Like right now, um, sorry, I'm (laughs) playing with the table again. (laughs) I'm just like, bang. (laughs) Um, Like right now you see uh, a lot of advancement in projection mapping, right? And I think that's incredibly interesting projection mapping plus like interactive visuals. So a lot of like, um, whether this data is coming from the music or it's coming from the dancers with eye beacons or something, um, Everything's, like, more—it's no longer, like, the, the choreography that has to be um, done, like, pre-show, but it can be something that is happening real time. And that's, like, all these technologies are coming together to inform spaces of, of performance, of, like, a theater. But we're still putting it inside that box, right? We're right. still putting it inside that stage. So how do you expect things to evolve if you still want to, like— mm. Like put it inside the same space. Right, right, so right. the question is like, why aren't we changing that canvas? Like, why do we still think that our canvas is is a is a flat thing to look at right. or a space to look at? So so that's my first company. It's called Ombia. and I'm building it right now. Um, literally started like three months ago. Congrats. And <laughs> thank amazing, you. Amazing. And and we're already talking to very um, big people in the entertainment industry to put this in. Las Vegas, and Dubai, in in China, and a lot of places, like from Guangzhou, um, Beijing, uh. and Hong Kong. Um, and the concept is that, um, I'm changing the canvas, like I'm changing the canvas so that the story can change. Mm. And and I think like what this is gonna enable first, like I'll be producing the first show, was, which is Enter the Dragon, um, with a with a my partner, um, Michael Condon. He has the stage rights for Enter the Dragon, like Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon. And this mm. is why I started Kung Fu. So now like now you understand where all this no, is coming uh, from. No,
0: boards don't hit back.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> be like water. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, you'd be surprised. I'm going to the Shaolin Temple, and and Shifu would. What is
0: that in like, Allen? Uh, no,
1: no, 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 <laughs> the, the, <laughs> no, the one in Lower East Side. <laughs> so, so the um, shifu there, like the the master there, is uh, one of the first monks that escaped China and started the, his own Shaolin Temple in New York. And there's like documentaries of like Nat and Discovery about him. It's like pretty amazing, um, wow. sir. Um, yeah, you so dynamic. Like that class is like the most intense thing I've done in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so beautiful to understand how how they view motion and how they, how they view motion, how they view uh, like fighting as a philosophy and not just about strength. And I think the story Mm. of Bruce Lee is about that, right? It's, it's more about understanding (laughs) just like like the Cirque du Soleil project, uh, (laughs) understanding humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. It becomes like this, um, like this hero's journey, like very Joseph Campbell of uh, understanding yourself and, and trying to go from um, what is the real world or the physical world to like the spiritual world or right. the or the illusionary world? That, and then you end up like confronting that, overcoming it, and ending up being the master of those two worlds. And I think that's mm. something super interesting that I want to explore, not just from like a two dimensional story, which is how we see movies. But how do you explore that as an experience and the space that I'm creating, like um, if, if that's what you were going to ask, um, it's it's a it's a 360 space. It's not a dome. Um. I can't wow. give much like, details right now because mm-hmm. we're getting it patented. Um, but it's, wow. a, it's a 360 space in which the people are not sitting, but they could be sitting, they could be standing, but they're not static anymore. Um, and... Yeah, it's a combination of like a digital space with some augmented reality space with some physical characters and there's like basically no laws of gravity here because it's all digital verse except the characters that are also 3D rigged so they can be like walking on the walls, walking on the floor, walking everywhere. Wow,
0: yeah, that's really interesting. I want to go.
1: Yes, please. I'll invite you. Please. It sounds like <laughs> it
0: sounds like from from listening to you it sounds like you're saying that everything up until most recently had and Kanye had he he had an interview about this too a couple of years ago where he was echoing your same sentiments about like how uh, rigid yeah you know, everything is so in your in your opinion it's more about the inclusivity of the audience because before it was about you know ah, yes, this person yeah. this person can do this thing that I can't do so I'm gonna pay money to enjoy that in third person. But you're saying now the the enjoyment is in realizing that your own potential to be a part of the the art or or what have you.
1: Oh my yeah. god! I'm going to disappoint you so much. No, <laughs> <That's>
0: probably,
1: <yeah. laughs> no. Ma- maybe I'll think about that for another project. That's interesting for, to think. Um, but no, this show is still has performers that you're watching. But I guess the the difference is that you're not just watching. It enhances um, the
2: experience. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Because it's well, when you're when you're seeing something so far away and everything's coming from the same direction, um, you only get a sense of what you see. So you you see light. You. I mean you hear the acoustics but it's also coming from one direction only right. and you see the visuals but it's never it's never like something that's around you and when something's around you um like something that I'm doing is also working with ambioacoustics so it's like mm. thinking that um, we separate different tones, um, like the the lower tones coming from the ground, the mid tones coming from the, like the high tones coming from the mm. ceiling, and not all coming from one direction, but it being like um, mm. a grid, like a like a multi channel um, control system that you can have sound going from one space to another, just like the same way as we do with binaural sound with our mm. with headphones, where you can have something coming one and another. So, but imagine this is absolutely everywhere in that space. So it's almost as if um, Sound also had like um, a rhythm in space, not just in time. Wow. And I think that's something really interesting to think because we're very used to sound or music only having a rhythm in in time. So, and well,
0: and I'm, you spend a lot of theory of relativity.
1: <laughs> uh, t- I think it's the math background. <laughs> There's like an obsession with patterns and like wanting to understand like, like what are those flows and there's counter flows and like what are those rhythms and when do you break them when are they harmonic because it's not just about making things beautiful right it's not about symmetry i mean symmetry is like obviously great but that's the basic of things like it, the question is like how do you break those symmetries without it being chaotic like what are the mm-hmm. slight breaks that mm-hmm. make things more interesting mm-hmm.
2: and this has potential to like disrupt the whole performance space
1: it, it will yeah it definitely will go. and i think the people that that i'm talking to um,
2: can make it happen
1: can totally make it happen and are seeing the potential. they're like this is this is going to change this space
2: another question I ask, is it just is this a passion for you for theater or do you see the reimagining of space of like schools um...
1: everything 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 um but i'm going to start with the theater um i can tell you some theories of things that i want to change for Please. school okay um, i would love to and libraries Absolutely. too um, school's been the
2: same since Eighty something.
1: Yeah, for school, strangely, like 18, I have. Yeah, I haven't thought of how they would be physically, like as a physical space. I've only mm. thought about the things that um I would change, like as a dynamic like of curriculum? learning. Yeah, okay. um, and I think certain things that I think were were that could have been more useful in my life. <laughs> um, like I hated school, right, and then I never found myself fitting into the system. Um, And I think some of the reasons uh, that we had talked before about like this feedback loop of you feeling that someone is like, um, I guess, like feeding onto your enthusiasm or feeding onto your discipline. Um, But I think um, the ways to work around this is first understand that everyone is not the same, right? We're not all supposed to have like the same um, courses. Or if we do have the same course, because I understand in school you have to produce the same courses, maybe we shouldn't be evaluated in the same evaluated, evaluated mm-hmm. in, in the same way. And, and I'm not saying like, oh, uh, now you have to treat everyone as a very particular point because this becomes too complicated. But just imagine if you have credits. If I had, if I had like my five classes that everyone has, right? But instead I choose that for math, I want to spend five credits on that. For English, I only want to spend three credits. Like, I only want that course to be multiplied by three. I want math to be multiplied by five. I want art to be multiplied by five. I want gymnastics to be multiplied by five. And I want uh, social studies to be multiplied by three or something, right? Um, and, and of course, there'll be also like some um, some, I guess, like some control over what you choose because you can't end up choosing everything the same. So maybe next year. Um, something that I was bad at, I have to choose that as a five so that it promotes me to want to do better in that. But what this does is that it doesn't extra, it doesn't punish me severely for the things that i'm bad at and it extra rewards me for the things that i'm better mm. and i think that's something that if we're not used to being rewarded for what we're good at then we don't actually even focus on the th- things that wow. we're bad at and the way that we learn as humans is not being good at everything it's being good at something that you put the discipline the love and and the time for mm. and once you've uh, mastered one thing you only need to master one thing you can apply that same train of of, of train of training let's say onto anything that you can think of right so like the way that i ended up like let's say um imprint like mastering because i'm not like a professional dancer but let's say at that age like my mastering was in classical ballet um i found that structure to help me master architecture i mean again like i don't know what mastering means but let's say like master architecture and then master anything else that, that I do. So when I bring on something new, like I'm never thinking, like I'm never constrained into like, oh no, um, I can't learn something new because I didn't start when I was young or I can't learn something new because, mm-hmm. or I can't do this because I was never good at that, right? And the reality is that you were never good because you didn't put the time into it because you didn't like it. There was something that, there was something that didn't inspire you to do it mm-hmm. and you weren't re- being rewarded for the work that you were doing. So of course you didn't like it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you don't like it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, you you feed yourself into these ideas, and I think something that that also like not not related to the school, but that also changes that this will help people change the way that they feel is that um, when you when you're told that you're only good at one thing, because it's like, okay, now that we discarded that, you suck at anything that has to do with language. So I've like got this thing in my head, right? You suck at philosophy, you suck at writing, you suck at... So I'm like, okay, you should never do that, right? Um, then you think that whatever your career is, is what you're going to do the rest of your life. And when you think that whatever you're choosing to do is forever, then you constrain yourself into the possibilities of what you are, right? So people start having like this false notion of, um, maybe I need to work on this. I don't even like it, but this is how I'm going to work. Then I'm going to retire early and then I'm going to live my life. And I think the the reason why that happens is because you never found something that you were truly passionate about or because you your passion didn't align with what you were good at or was making like, what was like helping you make money at that time or whatever. Um, but you still pursued it because it's like too late to start something else now, right? Mm. It's always too late, right? And, and I think like, I don't know why people think that it's always too late. The reality is that I see... People like doing crazy things in their 50s, 60s. I mean, my grandpa is 100 years right now. Yeah. We celebrated his 100th birthday in February. Oh, nice, and, so. and when and he's just like the craziest human being. He's like, mm-hmm. well, um, I decided that on my 100th birthday, I'm going to move too. And he just like decided to move like somewhere else and become a gardener. And I'm like, okay, that sounds amazing. Um, you should always be trying new things. He's like, yeah. I also think that I'm going to start learning about... I don't know what it is that he's learning about right now, but every, like, every year he has, like, a new passion, and I find that so inspiring because it's, like, why, why do you think that what you know so far is the end of it, right? Like, um, I know a lot of people that when, when they see me, like, trying out something, new, it's, like, um, I started rock climbing maybe, like, four years ago, and anyone would say, like, oh, God, like, you're so... You're so weak, like, you can't, like uh, when are you going to, like, how do you think you're going to learn? And it's like, of course, like, you start off slow, but once you, once you go into it, and once you obsess with it, then, I mean, you just... Like, you can just power this the same way as anyone can. And and eventually, like, I became, like, a pretty decent rock climber. And then I've done the same with skydiving and now kung fu. Like, I have, like, my obsessions every two or three years. I add on a new obsession, and it just becomes, like, this whole repertoire that ends up influencing my other things as well. So mm. the way that I'm doing, like, um, that I the way that I do yoga influences the way, like the structure that I have in my back for the Kung Fu or I, I don't know. And, and this happens with everything from from the way that you cook, from the way that you play a game or the way that you you learn anything in life. So, yeah, so that, that aside, um, I think the other thing that is really important in school is to always be teaching and learning at the same time. And I find that also something that I learned through Bali is that if you're always only learning, you feel like you're kind of like inferior and there's something of like feeling that you're, you're always the one receiving It's just like, you're always receiving. Right. And I think like, this is the same as relationships, right? I mean, everything's the same as everything and everything's translatable, like and, and analogous around all, all the themes in, in, in life, but um, you can't just be only given. You can't just be only receiving. And I think like what makes um, a system be um, like perpetually dynamic is having both of those things combined together. So mm. um, imagine that, Every year in class, like you are (laughs) lightly forced to, um, the best class that you're at to, to give, to teach to someone else, to be like the tutor for someone else that is bad at it. But you're also forced to receive tutoring from someone that's really good at something that you suck at. And I think that when you feel that you have someone that is like one-on-one helping you outside of class, because I think that that's another thing that, um, you don't always feel like you're learning at the rhythm of the class. And the moment that you stay behind, it's like <laughs> it's like someone just throws you off and then yeah. you're gone and you're like, oh, my God, where did this go? Mm-hmm. Now I can't catch up. Now you hate this class and it becomes this chaos that goes to the infinity of chaos. Um, But the thing is that if someone is like next to you, um, like forced to be next to you and be like, hey, like I know you kind of like skipped two classes. Like instead of you giving up, like let's sit down and fix this outside of class so that you can... Go back and be at that level, but then you're also doing that for someone else. You feel that you're being helped, but you're also inspiring. And mm. I think feeling that you're inspiring someone, or feeling that you're being looked upon, uh, up, uh, up on, uh, looked. How do you say looked that? Looked up to. Looked okay. up to. Okay. <laughs> looked up. up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll think about it too. <laughs> that's, later.
1: that's where my language starts having all these constraints. I, <laughs> I, I, think sometimes in Spanish, and then it doesn't make sense when I translate it. Still <laughs> so good. Still within the like. The Latin context, but still. Um yeah, like I think that's important to to have that dynamic. Um but I, I haven't thought of like how the physical schools would be. Um yeah, so so like the, the the theater, like I think about it a lot in terms of like how that physical space is gonna change right. the the experience of it. In the school I'm thinking like how is the, the dynamic of those relationships gonna change the way you learn? And and I also want to, like, another project that I'm working on, but I'm going to, I'm leaving, well, I mean, I have two projects that I'm working on, but I'm also going to leave in pause. One is for for libraries. I think mm. that the way that that we go through through books or through knowledge um, has, to, has to mix. It's almost like we have to do, like, a mixed reality kind of thing. We have libraries that are absolutely gorgeous. The spaces are like monuments, right? You mm-hmm. go and you feel, like, the sensation of almost being in a sacred space because they're so beautiful. But you don't go through all the books. I mean, it's impossible. Like, how are you gonna go through all of those books if you don't even know what you're looking for? Mm-hmm. And then you have the internet, which has so many options, It's so easy to look at, but it's very difficult to find depth. And I think like there's something interesting about combining those systems. And I'm not saying like, oh, put the internet inside the library. No, it's more like, how do you do like a mixed reality thing where the way that we're used to searching on the internet, which is effectively the, the way that we optimize our train of curiosity, um, you go into one link and you start opening other links that are related. You end up with a thousand things and you close, you open up. It becomes like very dynamic, right? You can't do that with books, and I think that's what makes learning with books seem like it's slow and it's like stagnant and it becomes almost like a hobby because who has time for that, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, you're going to open a book and you don't even know what chapter you're going to look in and then you finally find it and then you don't even know where to look and things like that's too much. But there's something interesting of thinking that maybe it's more like a a network system where you have things that are being highlighted and all books are scanned, right? Amazon has definitely scanned all of these books somewhere. Because yeah, <laughs> you can you you can do like keywords on Google and it'll take you directly to an Amazon book. So all of these things are already very effectively scanned. So you can already be finding this information, this detailed information in a system. So imagine that you go to these beautiful libraries that have the books, but you only access them when you find that. You coincidentally ended up finding a lot of pieces of this network that are very interesting to you that fit into that book. Then mm. you're like, oh, no, I want the whole book. If not, I'm fine with just like certain paragraphs that I'm just like putting together like a collage of, inform- of information. <clears throat> um, but the physical space of the library becomes almost like a like a co-working space where you're doing this mixed reality research. And I think that's something interesting to explore that I haven't like got into much depth yet. Um and then the other project that I'm working on, like the, the like the, the only two projects that I'm working on is like OMBIA, the theater, uh-huh. and Humanitas. And Humanitas, um, is a nonprofit, um, art installation that is to be placed inside planetariums. And this, I recently got accepted to the new museum, um, to the new Inc. Incubator. Oh, great. Nice. Um, it's super cool. I'm so excited. Um, wow. and um, and then I'm also working with a company called Vortex Domes in LA, which, um, um, the the two the two founders um the center for creative cautions and and vertex domes have worked a lot it's like this beautiful couple <laughs> have worked a lot with planetariums and they have even designed planetariums in the past so they've become like this like beautiful hand or brand that's going to put me in contact with the planetariums to put this to put this installation but now i'm going to explain the installation because it's actually quite interesting uh-huh. um so when i think um of planetariums mm, i think of a space where You go to observe constellations or you go to observe the stars. Like there's something very like I guess like elusive and like magnificent about the like the extreme content of what the galaxy is, right? And but it's so far away that sometimes like we don't even relate to it. So what I'm thinking is what if instead of seeing stars, we're seeing constellations of people? Like what if instead of visualizing the universe, we're actually visualizing flows that are more driven by um, human behavior and like where do we analyze this bu- this human behavior we get it from big data of course um, imagine just like putting together like an overlapping of all these apis like you have a lot i mean i don't know if this is going to change with all the restrictions that are happening lately but a lot of apis are easy to access like mm-hmm. from from google searches from um facebook instagram um spotify i mean quora it can be like from the most only social network to the most nerdy ones possible you can put anything together and you create like a big library of what real-time people are thinking acting reacting etc right this is the library of people this is like our digital cloud of people and then imagine that instead of i mean you can't just visualize all of this it's just way too much but we choose a topic and that topic is chosen it's a um nonprofit organization, the whole idea is to bring awareness and consciousness about certain aspects, certain topics and Aspects in the world, so let's say that each week, or I haven't figured out exactly what's the timeline, or like how long each of these should last. If it's something that should be triggered by um, something in in the in the media, so it's like we are talking about straws, right? Plastic straws and the problem with pollution, in the oceans. Like, is this going to last a day? Is this going to last a week? But let's say that we're talking about straws, or or about ocean preservation in general. So we make this installation, which is real time be only mapping the dots that have to do with ocean preservation. And we're seeing literally real time how people are acting towards it. And I think what's interesting about this is that once we see these constellations, I mean, we think that everything's like chaotic. I mean, chaos is not even chaotic, right? Chaos is like, a, it's still a deterministic system that falls within a loop. It's just like a slightly shifted loop, like when you analyze this as, as, mm. as data. Um, so it's almost like a harmonograph. Um, mm. And if we analyze these flows um, in people, we find it to be very similar to other systems of like that you see in the universe, like other, other systems of like physical principles um, because they're behaving under the same principles. Like we have nodes, people that have um, different forces or different fields. Um, I mean, let's start with forces, like different forces. Um, The magnitude of those forces come from the strength of that person and that strength is determined by how many followers you have or how many people react to your things, right? Um, and this is very, like, branching, um, like, related. Like, it's very, it's very fractalic, I guess. Like, there's the big ones are, are small, I, the small amount of big ones. And then that branches out and there's a lot of small ones, right? So you have like very few people that have a lot of influence, but then you have a lot of people that don't have that become the dead ends, right? The ones that don't have any followers, or that no one <laughs> ends up retweeting them or <laughs> and and then there's there's um and th- those are the nodes. So those are defined those are defining forces and in specific points. And then you have the fields, and the fields are how things react to those to those nodes. And those fields are created by um the events that are triggering those reactions, and you see that when something, um, if something big comes up in the news, people react immediately to it, and then it ends up slowing down. And this is almost like a Gaussian curve. And you see like these Gaussian curves, like you see this in every every system. Like I, I mean, you can explain the universe maybe like six <laughs> equations, I think, <laughs> because it, it all follows the same the same logic. Um, and it becomes like these beautiful forces of I call it um, forces, mediums, and flows. So the forces are the ones that we're saying, which is like the nodes, and then what is the information that that is being that that is being poured down and how it's being poured. Um, the the mediums is um, like when you talk about um, like fluid dynamics because it's very easy in fluid dynamics to analyze this because I mean material physical materials is very difficult because it's static, but if you have two different um, densities of liquids and you pour one side the other. Um, the, the mediums is like that change of state. And you see how things um, either flow very smoothly or flow very fast. It's because that second medium is, is denser, is stronger, or it, it takes more time. It's because there's a resistance. And you visually, I, I wish I could just like show you guys. The <laughs> white, images. White water. Um, yeah. Or, um, or when you or, or when you see smoke rising, right? Or when you drop paint, into into water as well or all of these things like react very similar and and that's sort of what happens with our behavior so it's very like what i want to show people is like um we're all of these points and we think that we live in like in our own point world right we're all super independent and we all have like our opinion and we're all just like very obsessed with marketing ourselves and it's all mm. about me, me, me and you are about you you and then we just like comment on that, but we're all like in our little world. But we don't realize like how much our own little worlds are being influenced by these external environments. And mm. I think that's the first thing. Noticing that we're inside of an interdependent field. Like we're not just like isolated points. We are all part of something that is being morphed by the same things, right? And because like we're all in the same world. Like we're all seeing everything that's around us and we're being influenced by it. Like no doubt. Um and the second thing is like Um, What is the power that we have to change these things? We think that we maybe just because we're like this um, little dot in the middle of Norway that there's nothing to do. But the reality of it is that there's a lot of things that small points end up triggering massive Massive movements, um, mm. sometimes even bigger than the big points started. Right, so it's like not only like how are we gonna create like a, or understand a collective intelligence that comes from all those points, but what is the power that you have to actually make a change in those in in those flows? Mm-hmm. And it's an it's an art installation. <laughs> so wow. so I'm not trying to get to something like extremely scientific, but but it's <laughs> yeah. like um I want this to be inside planetariums because of that. It's like you enter this space. I'm. T- Again, taking off the seating, just like the same thing as the theater. I think that sitting down to see this space is not the way. It's more about experiencing it. So seats are gone. I'm making a platform that is elevated like very James Turrell that you you enter through like a big staircase and then you have this platform that is slightly curved and you're just like walking through the space and just just watching the flows. And you can stand and watch. You can draw. You can lay. You can do whatever because it's about experiencing. And there'll be different activities during the day because... Of course, I want it to be a profitable model. Like, I don't want it to be like asking for money every time that I change location. Um, it's a nonprofit. So, everything that ends up being um, extra profit will give it to the organizations that have been the topics that we've been uh, visualizing throughout the day. Um, but we're going to have yoga meditation inside that space, which I think would be super cool to have like a sound meditation inside a planetarium where you're visualizing humanity. And, and then, events, fundraising events, in which we will bring um, different. I guess like different artists of different things, again, I'm being super vague, but um, from musicians to, um, to chefs to, I mean, to anything that you can imagine um, that are things that not necessarily would be interested in going to a museum and to a planetarium. So if you go to see a DJ there, um, you end up in a space where you normally wouldn't but because you want you want to see the dj or you want to have that experience like with that mm. famous chef of yours so you want to see the philharmonic um the kids philharmonic or you want to see like a very specific person um you end up in a space that you usually wouldn't and it's all about bringing people to get a better insight to just i mean i, I don't i don't think that everyone's going to absolutely understand on their same like the first visit like what this is about i mean hopefully they will um but but i think it's more to just like open that door, you know, because sometimes consciousness or or education is not just about like trying to give you everything at the same time. It's more just about like giving you that, that dot of curiosity. Mm. It's like, Oh, here you go. Think, think a little bit different. Just yeah. And if, if that brings enough curiosity to people or to everyone, um, I think it'll, it'll help. Like it'll help the world to, to, I I guess like stop being so so static, right? Mm. Or so boxed in so what they believe. That's yeah. True, right. yeah, yeah.
0: I think um I I liked everything you say and from from the summation of it is that it seems like you're trying to galvanize people into action into into not only having things just wash over them or be inspired by it, but be inspired to action. For example, you were saying that yeah. to like on Twitter, like something will be like a trending topic or whatever. And then it, it dies down, like less and less people are talking about it until there's nothing going on. And then all of a sudden, like, there's still this issue that's happening, but nobody really knows. So I guess my question is, what would be the what would be like the the equal sign in, in that equation? Like what where where then like now that you have <laughs> all of this information, you know, put together and you can map the conversations that are being had about whatever the issue is or what have you is is there then going to be like a um like a collective or something that like a conclusion? Answer, yeah like that that answers it like no. if if Travis and I want water and then we everybody's like oh everybody wants water like who's going to go get the water eventually you know what i'm saying
1: oh interesting um no i haven't i haven't thought about that and i should because it's true it's not enough to just put an idea in your head and get you excited, you have to co- have a solution for people to act on it.
0: I mean, not no. No, you're,
1: you're absolutely right. Um, I will start thinking about that. <laughs> no, <first. laughs> no, I wouldn't be
2: trying to.
0: I ain't trying to, you know.
2: <laughs> nah, for, um, um, I wanted to talk about uh, definitely Pico and Partners. Um, looks like it's, uh, I know, Umbia. I'm sorry, did I'm saying it right. Yeah, so Umbia. Ombia is that a part of um, PQ and Partners? Is that like a, a, a child yes. of the yes umbra- PQ and Partners, the umbrella platform? Yeah.
1: So Ombia, the 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 immersive theater company, mm-hmm. is something that I'm doing with with Michael Condon, which is uh, a producer in Australia, um, mm-hmm. and he's the one that has the rights for Into the Dragon. Um, he knows this world it's very experienced and right. has a lot of like amazing connections that are have been opening doors to us. Mm-hmm. So that's between us and investors. So it's like those, gotcha. those three groups. Um. Yeah, and then Pico and Partners is, is like a, like the big chunk of it. Um, Pico is me. <laughs> Gosh, got, so all Partners I, don't have any yet. <laughs>
2: got it. So all the projects that come from um that come from you is, is based under the Pico and Partners umbrella. So yes. it's like you have your own yes. I guess agency and and
1: yes, yes, yes. Because agency. I I want to keep them separate because they all tailor to I guess different people both from like the clients but also from the investor perspective so i think um it's just smarter to keep them separate and you don't know like what the agenda of each of them is going to be mm-hmm. and i don't want one project to end up having to um take hierarchy or end up pushing the i guess like the intention of the other so I, that's why i'm i'm keeping them as separate companies yeah um,
2: amazing um um I was going to May, yeah i do have
0: one um, last question. <laughs> in, in terms of, in terms of like, um, just going back to like the architecture thing because I uh, can't let that part go. Like, <laughs> in, what period are you most inspired by like architecturally?
1: Oh man. Um. <laughs> 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 um, I wouldn't consider it a period. I think more than a period because periods, what, what, well what what periods mean in terms of history is just how people are reacting to the current events, right? So every like every period just becomes of like how right now we are influenced by everything else. That's how we create architecture today, and that's how we tomorrow mm-hmm. we're gonna do a different tomorrow. We're gonna do different. So I wouldn't compare them because they're all being influenced by things that were relevant at that time, and I think those are all very beautiful and and. And I mean, completely rational in their sense. Um, I think I'm more into certain artists or certain architects because I think um, people just like bring in like. it's almost like people become like these filters, like these analysis filters, right? You have all these inf- all this information um, that comes to you and the same information is coming to all of us, but we each interpret it differently. And then we each create something different from it, right? Because it's like our very unique perspective of how we see the world that is being shown through our art or through our architecture. Yeah. So I have been um, like very influenced through a lot of architects throughout my time and um, I mean I don't want to should I name them? I mean Sahali um has been a, a great influence. Um Peter Zumthor, uh Frank Lloyd Wright, King was, of course, my my ex-boss. Um uh Cesar Vieira, Savieira, like, I, I moved to Portugal to to see a class from and see all of his buildings like he's just like absolutely amazing, very very clean and very subtle. Um Tadao um, Ando, Kenzo Kuma. I mean there, there's there's a lot, there's a lot, but them. No, there's a lot. Wow. Um, but but they're, they're each just like this, like these beautiful shades, like these beautiful colors. And, and I mean, when, when I say colors, I mean, natural, like literally colors. I mean, like different, um, slightly different perspectives of how they interpret the world. And I, I just find that fascinating to understand how they saw life or how, like, when you see their work, you understand them. Yeah, I think that's what it's about. When you see their work, you, under, you understand what the artist was living, thinking Breathing of how they interpreted what was around them to turn it to turn it into that into that physical space.
0: No, oh. Yo, you're so unbelievably human. It's not even funny.
1: I'm unbelievably <laughs> human. Yeah, like you know
2: what I mean. Like your appreciation. <laughs> that's that's is dope. so
1: funny because I didn't. I never considered myself that
2: <laughs> genius level. Um, what was uh What was your experience like with you and the team designing the Google builder?
1: Um. Well, when I when I got to that to that project. Um, it was a pretty advanced stage Um, google project had been going on maybe two years before that Um, so so when i entered it was mostly just for the geometry work which was um, the the building has uh, it was already like the final design beautiful design of this canopy that has the doubly curved surfaces that allow the natural daylight to go in obviously the space is incredible it goes from um, being on the ground so like the, the edges are touching the ground. And then the center it elevates to like 110 feet. So you have like this beautiful open space. And then inside, um, it's like this checkerboard um, of of like blocks that become the enclosed spaces that need to be acoustically isolated. So the offices or anything that has to have a door and walls will go in that space and everything else just becomes like this open workspace with gardens with, I mean, it's Google, right? It's yeah. absolutely <laughs> amazing. Um, so um, I was working on that canopy and resolving the, like the, I guess like the, the curvature of the surfaces for it to work for, for drainage, for um, structural tension, for daylighting, um, which has a lot to do with um, energy consumption because it's like a window to wall ratio kind of thing. Um, mm. So I, I guess like what what was super interesting about it was that, I mean, you see a beautiful building and you're like, oh, interesting. How did that happen? Um, but you never wonder, like, how complicated it is. Right. And solving it, of course, there's like a big team around it. Um, you start understanding the complexities that are sometimes contradicting. And I think that's what's interesting, that um, if the surface wanted to be um, flatter for the drainage because we don't want it to like, be in the water to stagnate in the center, we wish it was a flat surface, but obviously it's not going to be, um, then... It pulls in one direction, right? And then you have the the structural tension that if you have the, the surface be too flat, then all of a sudden it works under compression. That's not what we want either because that would change the dimensions of everything, etc. So it's like all these things are like pushing and pulling in different directions mm-hmm. and it's I mean it's like everything right <laughs> again it's like everything um, everything's like pushing and pulling in different directions and then you kind of have to find like that balance between like what is the best approach that ends up solving all of those problems mm. and that's where in like computational design like what I studied come into handy because if you were to analyze this like I mean obviously not by hand but like even in a normal CAD um you you would have to I guess like every time that you analyze, you have to go back, draw it, and then retest it, and then draw it, and retest. Like, when I say draw, I mean like draw it in CAD, and retest it. But what we do is that we're um, real-time analyzing these things by subdividing the surfaces with a grid of points, and then all those points um, will give us the information that we need. So if it's the the drainage, uh, we're looking at where those vectors are flowing, and then we look at analyzing the comparison between one point and its neighboring points, um, what is the direction that it's taking? Um, and then what is the intensity that it's taking? Right. So what are the slopes or like what is. yeah. Um, so. So, yeah. So what we ended up doing was was that like just like solving, putting together like all these layers, building a big computational model, which is which we did on uh, a combination of grasshopper for rhino and C sharp inside of. Grasshopper, and which is like a software, uh, like a a, yeah, like a visual, like a visual coding, and then a real coding inside that visual coding software inside a CAD software. So it's like, eh. (laughs) Um, but but yeah. So so when you finally finish it, and you see the surfaces, and I'll show you guys the images now because it's under construction. You're like, oh, please look at those beautiful curves. And then no one <laughs> understands. They're like, oh, yeah, you just drew those girls. Like, no, we nah, didn't was, just draw them, right? Like, there's a lot of complexity that comes in into making this, like, work as efficiently. Also, because it has to be efficient for fabrication, has to be efficient, like, for, for cost purposes. Like, there's so many things that, that, come, that come in mind when, when you're solving these very complex Damn, buildings.
2: I'm, I'm upset now that I didn't finish my CAD class back in yeah, high school. But you <laughs> still can. That's yeah. what I'm saying.
1: You still can. I mean, go. you can learn anything that you want. There's like, it's just, just do it. Just true. like sit down, be passionate about it, have the discipline, and put the time into it, and you'll just do it.
2: There you go. You want driven minds for real. Um, <laughs> last question we asked all our guests is, um, you know, what what keeps you going? What keeps you, uh, just motivated to wake up in the morning and and do great things with your life? Um,
1: hmm. um what keeps you driven? I think it's a combination of wanting to question the status quo. Mm. Um I'm very um li- like I said mm, before um every point in time is changed like, is being influenced by the things around us but then sometimes those things don't change and time passes so we end up stuck in a framework that is no longer relevant to us. And mm. I think it's uh, only when we question those frameworks um and I'm going to put on like big topics political structure
2: mm.
1: our religion um <laughs> i mean mm. there's so many things like i think like let's say transportation uber or uber lyft are like that big change and this idea of making things less hierarchical 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 Hier- <laughs> uh, it's so funny there's
2: higher, higher. It's all good. There's some words that I can't say. Salmon, salmon. Hierarchy. It's all good. Words mean, no worries. <laughs> it's mm, it's I, good. Bro, it's cool. Don't worry about it. It's all good. So
1: it, it, I, know, I know
2: what you're thinking about, though. I know
1: yeah, so in, in, instead of going like this like top-bottom approach where you right. have a pyramid right. um, to making things more um, um, decentralized, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like that's what Uber and Burby. like this is what is gonna start making us think not just in terms of transportation and in terms of accommodation but in terms of how we do everything right Mm. and i think like blockchain is a great example of how it's changing those structures right Mm. it's being decentralized instead of being hierarchies and Mm. and i think that's gonna start happening in everything because that's like Cause that's, that's the first thing that ins- like something came to mind, right? Something inspired that first person that created the, the first, um, change in that system in whatever field it's irrelevant, what field it starts with, but then that starts like translating to other fields as well. And I think like what, what makes me super like passionate to wake up in the morning is to ask myself, like all the things that I'm thinking that I think could be better if I don't build them, who will, right? Mm. If you, if you're not doing it, who will, you know? Mm. And, and and that's what you should be thinking every day. Like if you want the world to be different, if you, and I'm not saying like in this, like in a, oh, make the world a better place. But because my my ne- my necessity or like my passion is my, it might not be as humanitarian as 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 you would hope. But let's say if my world being different is like creating a different um, performance experience or a different way to see ballet. If that's my thing, right? I mean it is in in a way like uh, that's part of it um then why am i not doing it Mm -hmm. because i enter in this frustration every time that i go to the ballet and i'm like this is not what it should be right now right it should be so like there's so many things that could make it a more interesting experience and i'm not saying it's to take over i think it's just to give options because it's not like oh the past like oh leave classical ballet behind or like it's it's not about it's not about over like overcoming those or, or leaving behind uh those those like, six instructions, just giving options. Because um, the only way for us to be better at anything is to having, like, options to choose from instead of being mm. uh, forced into one train only. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that motivates me is, like, this intense, like, curiosity to understand how things work. Mm. And, and like, I mean, everywhere that I walk, I'm like, I mean, there's fractals everywhere. So I'm just, like, <laughs> I'm, like, looking at trees. I'm like, but And that's, like, from the nature standpoint, you see a lot of... Uh, you see a lot of like the same physical principles, like when you're taking a bath and you see the bubbles and I'm like, Oh, that's so interesting. This is where the main force of air came in. That's where that's the big bulb is. And then, but then the other bubbles are coming together in like what you would call like a 3d Voronoi um, combination. And then between those gaps, you get the fractal approach that is filling like those gaps in the same curvature that has like the radius of those initial curves and you're like, wow, this is where the force comes. Like, that's why these bubbles look so like, I absolutely like love that in terms of like, um, In terms of nature, it's like very, it's very easy to understand. In terms of people, it's much more complex, but it's super interesting. And that's what I'm interested in understanding.
2: Oh. People. I feel like, um. Yo. Remind me of, uh, Elon Musk.
1: (laughs) I wish. Is crazy. Like it's crazy, nigga. It's a lot of genius. Da, just, like said uh, t- I know when he's
2: is uh, <laughs> excited. That's y'all. It's, it's crazy. Oh man, my so brain thankful. is on fire. I can't lie. I feel a little bit smarter now after that. <laughs> you know, like go outside, and start talking shit. Oh, but um,
1: doing shit, you mean? <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> there you go. Different <laughs> <Just> minds. <laughs> That's what we do. Oh uh, man, we appreciate your time, cool. Patricia. Where, um, where can we find you on
0: the socials? Um, the interwebs.
1: Well, Pico Velasquez is my is my Instagram, and I mean Facebook. My name is Patricia Correa Velasquez. I'm not a Twitter because I'm not very good with words. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> gotcha. All right. like we always. It's a lot digest. This was a good podcast. But Thanks. we always say this, Tom. Stay driven. Stay driven. <laughs>